you will, open your Bible to the book of Revelation, the final book in our Bible, to chapter 3, and we're going to read beginning in verse 14. Again, the book of Revelation, chapter 3, and beginning in verse 14, we'll read through the end of the chapter. Don't uh, anybody fret, uh, this sermon's not going to be about underground missile silos or uh, helicopters, you know, or anything uh, like that. Today, I, I do want to do what we have done uh, over the last 15 years, is usually we have a post-Christmas series that kind of closes out the year and moves forward into the new year. Now, I have to admit, uh, I think it was two years ago, my introductory series went into like July. And uh, so I, that's not my plan this year. But uh, uh, typically I try to preach through the books of the Bible and when we return to kind of our normal rotation, we'll be back in the Gospel of Luke. And my plan is over the next few years to preach through uh, that Gospel. But over the last few months, one of the things that our staff has mentioned repeatedly is the idea of the need for repentance among the people of God and revival among the people of God. And if you'll notice in, in my title, I, I put in another R that I want to add, the idea of renewal, okay? And all three of those are kind of essentially and intrinsically related uh, together. That, that if, if we're going to have one, then realistically we should have all three. That if, if one of those takes hold in the life of North Clay Baptist Church, we will see the other two. And so it is my hope that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and apply it to the people of God so that we would see a dramatic change, uh, a dramatic work of God in us, among us, and through us. Okay? And so uh, I want us to begin by looking at this particular text from this particular letter because I think that it is applicable to the church today. And so, I guess I should simply say that this series has probably got a little bit of a handle with care in that just like reaching into your oven and getting something that's baking out, we need to be careful because we may get burned. There may be an ouch factor. And God's people always need a bit of an ouch factor, don't we? So let's begin. Again, Revelation 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot, would that you were either cold or hot. 
So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness, may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Pray with me. Father, once again, we thank you for your truth. It is a gift to us. We would not know you apart from your choice to reveal yourself in this thing that we call the Bible, the Word of God, the inspired, inerrant, and infallible truth. Now, we also admit that we depend upon your Spirit to illuminate our hearts and minds for understanding and application. So, Lord, your words are truth. May you take them and may they not return void in our lives here this day. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I suspect that most of us have a bit of a working knowledge of the book of Revelation. Uh, it is sometimes referred to as the Apocalypse of John. Uh, his vision given to him by the resurrected Christ of how this age, this epoch of time shall be brought to its appropriate end. To be sure, uh, there are many different interpretations of what this means. But as our Baptist faith and message so well states, God will bring all things to their appropriate end at the appropriate time. We can believe that. We may have a different understanding of some of the dynamics and specifics, but in this we can be confident that our Lord Jesus will ultimately and finally rule and reign over all things in a perfected way. So, we find ourselves at the conclusion of kind of the first section of the book, a book that begins with an initial vision of the resurrected Christ by the Apostle John who has been exiled uh, to, a, to a rocky outpost uh, called Patmos. Uh, out in the off of the coast of, of Turkey, and it is there that he receives this revelation of God, and it begins with what we call the seven uh, the letters to the seven churches of Asia Minor, and they are very real churches. They are very historical churches. They existed uh, in that area that we now call Turkey, and Christ has a, a word uh, for them that was applicable in their. Uh, current situation, current at the time this was given in approximately A.D. 90, but applicable to each of us as we sit here in uh, this church in Clay, Alabama in 2018. I chose this particular church because it's the one church that has always stood out in my mind and seems to be most representative of 
the church in America and the churches to which I have belonged and the church that uh, we worship in here at North Clay Baptist Church. Now, again, word of warning, and I've said this for many years, I believe it to be true. When people get disenfranchised, disillusioned, just plain out, plain out mad about church, sometimes there can really be legitimate reasons. But one of the reasons I think people exit the church is when the truth is preached and it hurts, they say, I'm done. And folks, let me tell you something. Many times, biblically good medicine tastes very bad. Okay? Sometimes, biblically good medicine tastes very bad. You know, the old phrase, you really stepped on my toes. You know, we hear that occasionally. It's kind of a, uh, Keith, I th uh, Heath, I think that's a little bit more than a Somerville saying, but uh, that is an old Somerville, Georgia saying. Uh, that the preacher stepped on my toes. And if you've ever had your toes stepped on, it hurts. And typically, biblical change is prefaced by the infliction of biblical pain. Now, I say these things to you as say, um, I hope at least all that attend began to wrestle with what I'm going to preach on Sunday sometime Thursday afternoon. Now, why do I say that? Because you get an email every week from your loving, nurturing, caregiving pastor, me, about what I'm going to preach on a given week. And it's not just so you can ignore it and say, well, there he goes again, but so that you can read the text and begin to think about what God is going to say to us in that given text. And so, unfortunately for me, or really fortunately for me, I begin wrestling with these things long before you do. And folks, if, if your toe gets tweaked even a little bit, mine got stomped to smithereens. Okay? Okay? Anything that, that you're guilty for, I'm far guiltier. And so, so don't think, you know, the preacher's mad at me and, you know, he's just acting out. But, uh, but again, we want to hear what God has for us. In every area of life, marriage, everybody wants a better marriage. Don't, yeah, probably not a good thing for a bunch of spouses to start saying amen. But everybody desires a better marriage. But it's rare that the individual wants to change and to work toward the betterment. Um, no, I want to be the same way I am. I want you to change that person so I'm happier. Everybody wants to be more successful in their careers. But sometimes you don't want to put in the extra effort, the extra time. Every athlete wants to be far more successful. Every athletic team wants to be far more successful than they are. But are they willing to put in the effort. The teams that will play next Monday night, my suspicion is there was great effort put in a year ago so that they could play this 
Monday night. Not everybody's willing to pay the price. And so there is a sense where we must make a personal commitment to God and to the church and to the things that God uses in our lives to bring about radical change. That is requires some diligence. And to be sure is a bit difficult. And so let's look at our text and begin kind of building a foundation for this particular series. We're going to talk in fairly broad terms today about repentance uh, as it applies to, to God's people and then later about renewal and about revival. Again, in verse 14, and uh, there are discussions as to what is even applied by these letters being addressed to the angel. I know y'all think of me as an angel, right? And, and so there are many that would say simply it is an address to the pastor. In other words, uh, the Greek uh, that is translated angel uh, is, is the idea of messenger. So the messenger to the church. And I'm not going to get into it one way or the other. It, it actually could be a supernatural being. Uh, but my suspicion is it is a human messenger, the pastor. I, I don't know why you would address a letter to an actual celestial angel. But it doesn't matter as, as terms, as it, as it works out in our case. But to the messenger of this church in this city in Asia Minor known as Laodicea, I am the resurrected Christ, the, the amen, the, the final word from God, the final revelation, the testimony to His goodness and His grace. I am the, the faithful, true witness to all things pertaining to God. And I was created, right? No. No. Again, that doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is of the created order. The, the word beginning is the Greek arche and has the idea of foundation or source. That Jesus Christ is co-eternal, uncreated, and the source of everything that is, just as the Father and the Spirit are. So don't get confused there. So a word to the messenger to the church from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? And so he begins with an assessment of the problem, and, and these letters tend to kind of follow a, a standard, you know, I'm going to tell you what your problem is, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, and how you need to, 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 to address that, that problem, and, and what will be the results should you address it as I tell you to, okay? So, in verses 14 through 18, there's an assessment of the problem. Jesus says to us, his church, I know your works. Wow. Or lack thereof. The Bible teaches us very clearly. And, I, and I've, I'm not sure I understand it maybe as clearly as it's stated, which is my fault, not any fault of Scripture. I will stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ, which is perfect. Okay, that's the good news of the gospel. And yet there is a sobering reality that I will give an account for the deeds done in this body. 
Uh, as I've mentioned this concept over the years, I remember a very good uh, friend of mine. And uh, my prayer is he is with the Lord. I, I hope he is. And he made the comment one day that he didn't think he was going to be on the front row in heaven. He just kind of hoped to be in the, the theater, so to, so to speak, maybe on the back row. And hopefully that was an expression of humility that, that I know I'm unworthy. And, and hopefully it was. I, I fear it was some kind of complacency, some kind of works-based mentality. But we tend to be nonchalant and negligent about the reality of ongoing sin in our life. We wink and we nod at it. Now, I get on you about yours. I, I wink and nod at mine and vice versa. Right? Right? I mean, I, I'll crucify you. Give me a chance. I, I would love just to stomp you. Amen. Amen. But, again, we, we tend to be negligent but, about dealing with these things in our, in our own lives. But evidently, these things will be revealed. And, and I think one of the... the the painful thing in our kind of uh, our regenerate state, we're saved, but we still have the reality of sin in our life. It allows us to be a little bit nonchalant. But one day when we have the perfected mind of Christ in our resurrected state, we're going to see sin like God sees sin. And we go, my gosh, my gosh. How could I have been so hardened? How could I have been so insensitive? to the work of the Holy Spirit, to the truth of Scripture. And so I think there is a, a day that will be painful. Uh, and then it would seem to me that ultimately, see, y'all are looking at me and you're kind of like, and because at the very least and the very most, you're sinners saved by grace, which is a great truth. You do not, we do not really realize what a great thing salvation is. So when we have the mind of Christ and we see sin as he sees it, we'll realize how amazing that grace has been, how sweet the sound of the gospel truly is, and we will rejoice. Even our sin will be a cause of rejoicing. So, uh, so again, we, we tend to be a little bit negligent, but Christ, knows everything. You know, this is a phenomenon that I experienced to some degree. I don't know that my children experienced it, but I think many of you know. When you were growing up, was there things that you really thought you had slipped by your parents? And then you find out when you're an adult, they knew the whole time. Yeah. Y'all know, you know the, the reality. And so, that's kind of the way we, you know, we think, well, nobody knows. But who knows? The one who sees and knows everything. And so I know you, and my assessment is you're neither cold nor hot. The analogy here is in Laodicea, 
There were two cities adjacent to them, a few miles away. One of them was Hierapolis, that was noted for having hot springs, okay, that were wonderful to bathe in. Even some thought the drinking of it had a medicinal quality, so it was highly valued. And then there was the city of Colossae, and it was characterized by, by springs that were crystal clear and cold, and they were refreshing to drink, okay? And so Laodicea was a city that existed on a fairly high plain and had no natural source of water, and they had to pipe in their water. And the water that was typically available in the city was putrid. It was not cold. It was not hot. It was lukewarm and was characteristic. I, I don't know. How many of you have ever drank well water and they called it sulfur water? Okay. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's nasty. It is just I mean, you, you, you know, you get a good sniff of it by, before you get it to your lips. And so I can imagine this water being like that, that it just, just wasn't palatable. And that, that really it was something that would make you sick to try to drink it. And, and so Jesus says you're, you're neither refreshingly cold or usefully hot. You're lukewarm. You're neither one. I will, my version, spit. Some versions vomit. And the, I, I learned something this week. Imagine that. Imagine that. I, the, the Greek for spit or vomit is emesai. Emesai. I had never heard the English word emetic. Emetic. How many of you know the word emetic? Okay, medical people, yeah, okay. An emetic is something that you give someone to provoke vomiting. I'd never, I'd never heard the term in my life. And so, that comes from this Greek word, translated spit. And so what is Jesus saying? That my experience with you makes me sick to my stomach. Because what? You're in this putrid state. You're neither hot. And you're not so cold that I can really work powerfully. You're just at this self-sufficient, self-satisfied state of uselessness. And you make me sick. And verse 17, where you say, I'm rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. It's a very easy place for Christians in an affluent society to get. Not to embarrass anyone, but I would su suspect that most of us know where we will sleep tonight, know that before we go to bed tonight we will have two meals and a bowl of ice cream and a couple of Arnold Palmer's. But in so many places in the world, there's no certain knowledge. And that particular difficult providence does create a healthy sense of the realization of our dependence. 
We are just as dependent as every believer in a third world country is. Because if God does not will it, your next brain wave, your next heartbeat would be your last. Okay? You get it? We are dependent whether or not you recognize it or not. And so material self-sufficiency easily breeds what? Spiritual self-sufficiency, which is a complete disaster to yourself and everyone associated with you. And so they have a misplaced confidence. Laodicea was a place that was characterized by great wealth. Uh, there was uh, uh, a medical school there. Uh, it was a banking center, and it was a place noted for the production of a very uh, 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 highly sought-out uh, black wool, okay? And so it, it existed on a couple of trade routes, and so uh, there was a lot of commercial activity in and around Laodicea. And so the people there were prosperous. And so, again, they began to think that their material prosperity was a substitute for being right before God. And so they did not soberly and biblically assess themselves. Look there at the second part of verse uh, 17. They did not realize they were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The first two words, wretched and pitiable, are kind of broad, okay? That, that, that you're in a wretched spiritual condition. You're to be pitied because you have allowed yourself to descend to this type level. And then the, the poor, blind, and naked is a direct assault on the specific things that they were relying on. Their wealth, their medical knowledge through the use of a, a, a salve that was, that was uh, uh, common to the region for the eyes, and the clothing made from that dark wool that I mentioned. None of those things were suitable for them to stand before God and to weld before Him. And so they had a misplaced confidence that came from their material prosperity that produced a spiritual lethargy in, in the church. Okay, Verse 18, so what does God say? To them, I counseled you to give me all your money so I can buy a new jet. Right? I mean, that's that, that's a good health and wealth verse, you know. And so, or so I can buy uh, a new Lamborghini, or whatever it is that you buy for two hundred thousand dollars. No. Again, metaphorically speaking. And this seems to go back to some of Isaiah's language. My advice is for you to buy from me what cannot be purchased with money. My counsel is that you take hold of, that you grasp, that you take ownership of that which endures. A gold that is not subject to the corruption of this world, a gold, an, an, an item, a commodity that endures. Obviously not literal gold, but spiritual gold, that which 
is not subject to the fallen realities of our world. I probably, I'm sure many of you have opened up your investment statements over the last couple of months. Found a lot of corruption there, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Those things have an ebb and flow to them. Seems like mine always ebbs. Can't figure it out. Stock market drops 10%. My funds drop 20. How's that work? Stock market goes up 10. Mine go up 5. I've, I've never figured that out. It's just a very strange thing. But all that, Paul's counsel, do not place your confidence in the uncertainty of unworldly wealth. Buy, and again, the, 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 um, um, Material of exchange, biblically, is not money or gold, it is faith. By faith, lay hold of the things that have eternal value. Here referred to as gold refined by fire. That which has been stripped of all its impurities. So that indeed, you may be truly rich, and that your garments shall not be the, the, the black, the, the, the garments produced from the black wool of the region, but they shall be garments washed white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, I, um, I love the, the old hymn, Jesus paid it all. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to buy. Jesus washed my garment's white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. How, how do I gain those garments? By unreserved trust, by faith in the resurrected Son of God. So I counsel you not to rely on the things that this world values, the commodities of this world, but I urge you to entrust yourself to me to gain that which you cannot lose. And so that way your nakedness, again metaphorically, will be covered and your eyes may be healed. Okay? So the remedy for the spiritual apathy of the Laodicean church, the spiritual apathy of the American church, the spiritual apathy of North Clay, Baptist Church is that we buy from God, that we embrace that which cannot be taken from us, that which has eternal value. Should we not, we will be a people who make our Savior sick. Okay? Verse 18. Verse, verse 19, the warning, those whom I love, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. I've used this type of illustration many times over the years, but I can only think of two children, two young men, that my dad grabbed by the ear, and twisted just very ever so slightly, 
drug us out of the back door of Pimple Baptist Church, took us out into the side parking lot that was between the church and Highway 27 and broke off a limb from the privet bushes and wore me out with it. That is, he was only concerned with the behavior of his two sons. I bet you can guess which one went out most often. But he loved me. As I said, my dad had a standard. And his goal was to see that I lived up to that standard. In other words, it was a great thing to be Bryce Evans' son. I've told you before, uh, because most of the time, well, some of the time, I was reasonably well-behaved. And so particularly by the time I got to be a teenager, if there was something I legitimately needed, I could walk into most any store in downtown Somerville and say, charge this to my dad. Now, again, understand that didn't mean I could go in and do something stupid, but if there was something I legitimately needed, he made sure that I had it. And on his good name, they let his knucklehead son have goods. That's a great thing. But there was also a downside to being the son of Bryce Evans because I got his discipline and it was tough and so we we get into this discussion many times so many times in so many different ways over the years how much can a christian a truly regenerate child of god persist in their rebellion their resistance against god and folks let me tell you something it's, it's not just those who profess to be Christians that were out at the honky-tonk last night or will be going to some big New Year's Eve party uh, Monday night and, and misbehaving. It's many who show up for church every single Sunday morning and sit there under the preaching of the Word of God and it never making a dime's worth of difference. And you, can be, you can be just as rebellious just as spiritually insensitive, just, just, just as quote-unquote backslidden as the guy sitting on a bar stool and show up for church every time the doors are open. Okay? Now, now it'd be hard here because I'd tick you off eventually, but, but it's possible. It's possible. Okay? And so the, the idea then is how much can a true child of God escape the attention of God. If you go back to the book of Hebrews, chapters 10 and chapter 12, picking up on an Old Testament theme, those whom I love, I discipline. Now, if you're a Christian and you sin, typically the first thing that will happen is somewhere kind of in your heart or mind, however you want, but a, a, a deep sense of grief, for lack of a better term, uh, of, of angst over what? I've sinned. You ever said something to somebody you care about, or maybe somebody you don't care about, like the waitress or the cashier at Walmart, or that you walk out and within a few seconds you go, what an idiot. They needed that tongue lashing, didn't they? Yeah. Like they needed a hole in the head. 
So, when Christians sin, there's a sense of something being amiss within our heart and minds. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, that's the first shot across the bow. And my word of wisdom to you is to bow the knee. To bow the knee. Now, if you don't, what tends to happen is somewhere in our subconscious, we get the idea, well, we can get away with this stuff. We can get away with this stuff. And guess what? We're just like a kid. We're just like a child. The more rope you give them, the more rope they'll take. Yeah, yeah. And then that child is given so much rope, they go out and get hurt or hurt somebody. And so that's, that's kind of where you're, you could be going. And then God determines to snap that rope back. Now, I don't know how many times I've given this counsel, but I've given it to counsel to people who are now dead. And, folks, let me say it at the outset. It is with great difficulty we have the perfect insight into the providence of God. I told you, my wife went home to be with the Lord July 29th. So the word of faith, people would come to Tim, you just didn't understand the right principles. Uh, Dale must have done something terrible in her previous life. Her parents did something in her previous life. You did something, you know, whatever. So, so please, I'm not making any great claim to, to divine wisdom. But I do believe this, that a true child of God that persists in sin is in line for the discipline of God. And it is, not a, it is no more pleasant than my dad breaking off that privet limb. Now, I was thinking, Katie, you know those people you call Mama and Papa? Now, those were not the people that raised me. I, I do not know who they were, okay? They, I went off to college, and I came back, and there were some strange people living in that house on Orchard Road. I'm just telling you. My sweet mother, the woman you so lovingly referred to as Mama, Threatened me, I'm, I'm going to cut the blood out of you, young man. Anybody ever had that said to them by their mother or daddy? Yeah. 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 I'm going to turn those legs into striped candy. Yeah. You didn't know those people. But the providential dealings of God with his people... You know, those of you who have been here on Wednesday night, you see how God has dealt with Israel and Judah over all those centuries. God is no less serious about the spiritual life of his people now than he was then. The writer of Hebrews says, the fearful things to fall into the hands of the living God. And again, I don't say that to try to, to scare you. I, I don't know how God deals with every Christian in every place at every time. But the Word of God says to us repeatedly that those whom I love, I expose their sin. You know, I heard that one of our uh, home groups is going to do later this spring a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Marvelous book. Uh, I realize I was a terrible parent, and so, you know, that's just uh, that's the way those books work sometimes. And, um, but one of the basic thrusts, when you discipline a child, they need to know why you're disciplining them. They, they, it takes a little time to explain. This is why you're receiving this spanking and so forth and so on. 
And God makes sure we understand this is where you have transgressed. And now this is the discipline. And so he brings us to it in, in many forms. And, and his exhortation, his, his counsel is to repent. His command is to repent. Do you know what? We've, we've talked a lot around here. Y'all moving kind of slow today. It's supposed to be funny. Take a breath. Do you know what the first of Luther's 95 Theses was? You should. How many of you been to 1517? When Jesus commanded us to repent, he was speaking of a lifetime of repentance. That initial repentance unto life. Okay? Conversion. The new birth. Being saved. Results in our recognizing our need for daily, moment by moment repentance. I think it was Spurgeon that says my repenting needs to be repented of. Because we never fully understand the depth and breadth of our own sin. And so, be passionate about the examination of our lives. Daily examining our lives. Moment by moment examining our lives. And repent. Confess it to God. Have a change of mind and attitude about the realities of our ongoing sin. And so, be zealous. Metanoia. Think after. Have a change of mind, change of heart. That, as uh, in Acts, it talks about produce fruit, or, or excuse me, John the Baptist says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Many times people profess to repent I've found all too frequently and tragically they're sorry they got caught they're sorry that their bad behavior has wound up in people that they care about being hurt they are sorry that they've done something so sinfully stupid or stupidly sinful whichever way you want to put it that it cost them a bunch of money or emotional capital or whatever but it doesn't produce lasting change. True repentance brings about a lasting change of attitude and action. And so Jesus counsels to us to avoid the disaster of discipline in your life is to repent, is to examine yourself so that you will continue to repent, so that, that God may work powerfully in our life. David's word, when I kept silent about my sin, when I refused to repent, my bones wasted away within me. It made me sick. My, my spiritual vitality, even my physical vitality was sapped away uh, from me. And so this fruit of repentance is a genuine change. Finally this morning, let me say this very, very quickly, verses 20 through 22. Now, Many of us have seen a, a famous painting by my, my, my dad's mother, my, my, the woman I call Grandma Dottie, uh, had this picture 
uh, hanging uh, beside her television in her den of Jesus knocking on a door, okay? Many times that's interpreted to mean, you know, Jesus is always, you know, knocking at, you know, the unbeliever's heart. Now, this is not a hyper-Calvinistic attempt to do away with the universal appeal of the gospel, of God's universal desire to bring people to repentance. Second Peter 3, 9, God is not willing for any to perish, but that all men come to repentance, okay? But the context here is not of the individual unbeliever coming to repentance. It is of a church that has removed Jesus from his central place in the life of the church for that church to allow their Lord back into their midst so that he will rule and reign and establish his truth for their good and for his glory and for the sake of a watching world. That's what this context is, okay? And, and he, now, again, it seems to kind of go from corporate to individual that, notice here, he says, I stand at the door. Then if anyone, if any man inside the church hears, my sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So even in the most apostate churches, there tends to be genuine believers. And Christ, through whatever minimal amount of gospel is being proclaimed, maybe in some ancient liturgy that, that most of the church just think so stale and dull and just so boring but the truth of God and his gospel comes through and he knocks and says to that believer wake up and repent so that what the picture is so I will enjoy intimate fellowship with you not only will I enjoy intimate fellowship with you but you will enjoy intimate fellowship with me transformative Fellowship. It's, it's impossible to be in intimate fellowship with someone and it not change them. A year or so ago, Tracy Ferguson met one of my golf buddies. We mentioned this the other day at his funeral. And uh, she made the remark, well, you even sound like Tim Everett. That's never a compliment, Tracy. You know, uh, you know, most wives do not like their husbands hanging out with me. You know, it's just you know, bad, bad thing. I've, I've told you my best friend back up in Somerville, his wife used to say, I can tell when Dennis has been on the phone with you. He said, I, I look at him when he gets out of the car and he just doesn't look right. I know he's been on the phone with you. But, yeah, who we hang out with impacts how we live, how we behave. And Jesus, if we have intimate fellowship with him, and his desire is to have intimate fellowship with the people of his church so that we may reflect his goodness and his grace and his truth and his glory. And so he promises to come in and to restore and to strengthen and to encourage. And then one day, what? To the, to the one who conquers. Again, one of the great themes of these letters, the idea of perseverance. By the gospel of Jesus Christ, I live faithfully in a fallen world that is designed to afflict me, that, that adversity comes my way, spiritual discouragement comes my way, all kinds of difficulties uh, temporally come my way, but I maintain my confession of Christ. I remain re uh, content in my intimacy with my Lord and Savior, 
And as I endure in this world, as I persevere in this world, I overcome the fallen realities of this world. And one day, one day, my Lord and Savior shall appear in the sky, not as the suffering servant, but as the conquering king. And he will take me alongside of him. And I will rule and reign with him forever. And I will look back on the tears of this life, which are manifold, which are multiple. And I shall rejoice in my Savior forever. And again, I've said it so many times. One of the goals, one of the goals here of our repentance is for that eternal joy to be a reality right now as we close out 2018 and we move forward into 2019. And so Jesus said, verse 22, very simply means this. Those who have been born of the Spirit of God hear the Word of God. Very similar to what Jesus, go back to and look at Matthew 13. We don't have time to go there this morning. But they asked Jesus, why are you talking parables? Well, there's a reason. Those who are spiritually discerning, they get the message of the parables. And those that are not spiritually discerning, they're clueless. And that's where I want them to stay. But the people of God hear the Word of God. Because of the Spirit of God that inspired that Word and the Spirit of God that dwells within us. And so Jesus says, you preach the Word, let the chips fall where they may. Those who have the ears to hear, given by the Spirit of God through the inner working of my Spirit in their heart in regeneration and indwelling, they will hear that word. And what? My word. My word doesn't return void. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for your witness to us. And Lord, at, at times it is indeed a scathing and sobering word. But Lord, we, your people, particularly people that live in the type of culture that we live in, have such a great tendency to drift. As the old hymn writer stated, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Oh, how, how, we, how we wander so far and wide. And Lord, how I ask that in these weeks that will follow, in this day, draw us back to yourself. Draw us into that intimate table fellowship in which we may know your grace and your power that we may bear witness to your truth to one another in days that are difficult. And in a world, Lord, in Clay, Alabama, in Springville, Alabama, in Pinson, Alabama, in Centerpoint, Alabama, Trustful, Alabama, all of these surrounding communities, that we would bear witness that the gospel is still true and powerful and God is still in the business of saving and restoring. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.